Welcome to part two of the Bill Johnson interview on freedom. And uh, this second part, as we, we as we said last week, is is built around uh, an explanation of the culture of honor, but it also goes into realms of boundaries, into realms of freedom, into realms of being forerunners and risk takers. Again, rich, great stuff from Bill. Uh, really good interviewing from Pete and Kim Carter, our friends down there in Eastgate, and it's such a privilege to be able to to share this this ministry that Bill did just for us uh, in the Living Fire churches that we're connected to. So just feed on this. It's, it is transformational. It's very, very inspiring and also very challenging. Enjoy. We'd, we'd heard about culture of honour. We'd, we'd heard Danny teach about the culture of honour, Danny Silk, you know, um, who's become a good friend of ours as well. So we had... And we, in one sense, studied it, uh, started to understand it. But when we came to Bethel, we we lived in it, and we we then understood it. You know, we didn't understand it up here. We 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 got it, and and that I think some people confuse a culture of honour as as like um, honour me uh, rather. You know, yeah, but so I'd love you to explain that because that is absolutely fundamental value and root of of, of Bethel in in our understanding. And and uh, I know that's that's something that's. Uh, come out of your uh, sort of life, your family background and stuff. So, Yeah, it's uh, the culture of honor is, uh, is just central. It's like it's the glue that holds us together. And once the glue is removed, we're in a mess. You know, it's not the, the structure isn't built around here uh, to exalt anybody. It's not built around a personality. It is built around a value system. And it's a value system where everyone gets to thrive. And um, so the culture of honor <clears throat> is where we basically celebrate who a person is without stumbling over who they're not. Um, it doesn't mean if I'm mentoring somebody, I don't want them to grow in an area of weakness that they may have. Maybe they don't do certain things well that they need to do for their, for their job, their responsibility. Of course, I'm going to help them where they're weak. But the point is, is I don't reserve my my rejoicing over them for when they become what I want them to become. I, you know, Jesus uh, celebrated his disciples early. He rebuked and corrected. He directed, he led them, but he was very clear in uh, celebrating. You know, he calls Peter a rock. I mean, that was, you know, it's, it's what he did with Gideon in the old Testament. You know, the guy who's hiding calls him a great man of valor. And so we, we have this, this approach to, the Bible says to say to yourself, let the weak say, I am strong. Well, apparently that approach is also to be towards people. And I remember when I first started to learn this, goodness, it was, uh, it was back before we had kids. So it was probably 45 years ago. Uh, Benny and I were each teaching a junior high Sunday school class. And I, I was in a, a, my, the room that I had these, I had 19 boys in there, junior high age, in a room that was about, of 12 by 14. So if you can imagine me and 19 boys, and they were so restless and they were so, you know, they were so all over the place. And to put them in that size of a room was probably probably a punishment they didn't deserve, you know. But uh, but that was our assignment. So we met in there and I would I would get us say, come on guys, settle down. Hey, listen, come on, I I want I want you to learn this. You know, and I I was constantly just uh just on them, trying to get them to pay attention because I had something to share with them. And I, I was sacrificing my time for their welfare and they would eventually settle in measure, you know. And uh, But I, I, I was in a meeting 
out, out of town and they were, this is back in the hippie era. And somebody was talking about uh, the, this community uh, commune type setting that they had where all these young ladies were getting saved and they were so messed up. And he was always trying to rebuke and correct and get them to change the way they dressed and, you know, all, all the stuff. And he said he thought he'd run an experiment one day and he began to talk to them about who they were looking into their future. Godly young women who uh, were uh, deeply rooted in values and all this stuff. He began to talk to them like that and they became what he said. They actually became the very thing he declared over them. And so I thought about that and I thought, I'm going to try that. I'm going to try that in this 12 by 14 room with 19 boys and me. And so that next Sunday, I got in there, and they're just climbing the walls, you know. And I said, I started by saying, you guys are men of God. And they just, they just stopped, and they looked at me, and I began to talk about what I could see in them. They all settled down because everybody wants to know who they are. Everyone wants to know. They'll put everything aside if they choose. I mean, that's why people will, you know, do stupid things, you know, read the horoscopes and all the other stuff. Everybody's trying to figure out who they are. And so when you and I can simply acknowledge the significance, the greatness, the gifting that a person has, changes their life. Somebody believes in them. And really that's what honor is. Honor is acknowledging the design of the designer. And, uh, and celebrating that and doing what we can do to give place for that to increase. Um, you know, we hire people. They always have specific jobs to do. But we like to create enough room in their job description where they can experiment and become even something more. And so we have our youth pastor who, you know, of course, is to lead our youth and to raise up uh, young leaders and all of that. He does that. But we want to create room for him to also become a writer. Or to uh, you know to do whatever else is in his in his heart. So the point is is that for this culture of honor to work, we have to believe in people enough that we give them freedom to experiment, and that's that's the marked difference between what we do versus what happens elsewhere. Is we give people room to experiment, which means we're going to have messes as a result. And if, and if you can't accept the fact that it's not always going to work right, then experimenting is tough. But if you, if you have it written into your code, you know, your way of thinking, your way of living, that uh, sometimes it's going to work. And when it works, it's going to work big. And when it doesn't work, we'll have a mess to clean up, but we're not going to punish the person. We're going to go after it again. And that really is the nature of the, of the culture of honor. Culture of honor is, uh, we've had leaders say, come teach us about the culture of honor because my church isn't honoring me. We, we don't we don't do we don't do that it's, it's, it's not a, it, it, it actually starts with my relationship with my wife how do I honor her how do I honor my children my grandchildren how do I honor the closest staff members if if the culture of honor in my life affects that part of our world then it will become the culture of the entire church so it starts not with what I'm receiving it starts by what I'm giving and, uh, and that's really the nature of the culture of honor. And it works when we take that approach, and it does not work when we don't. It becomes a, you know, it becomes a requirement. It becomes something that's really, really ugly. Uh, one more comment. Uh, many people misunderstand honor, and they, 
the counterfeit of honor is flattery. Yes. It's not flattery. Tell us about that. That's a really big one. Sometimes people, all of us would be tempted. You know, I don't want to point to someone else. I would be tempted to just say kind things to somebody to obtain their favor. If you're doing what you're doing to get something, you need to question what you're doing. If, if you're saying kind words because you want them to, you know, ease up on this situation or that situation, be careful because you're, you're getting into an area of manipulation. And that's a very scary, very dangerous area to go into. So flattery is where we say nice things simply to get something in return. But true honor sees what God sees and is willing to acknowledge it in a place of celebration and reverence. Going to come in on the culture one again. Well, I was just um, thinking on the whole thing of freedom is that um, freedom, you know, if you say to people, you're free, in a way they tend to think, I'm free to do whatever I like. And that whole, um, which I think is a big part of the, of the culture of honour, that whole thing of freedom and responsibility. Yeah, that's excellent. I think it was Francis Schaeffer that made this statement first, and it really marked me uh, quite a few years ago. Freedom is not the ability to do whatever you want. It's the ability to do what's right. Mm. So freedom is actually an enabling power. Another word we would use for it is grace. Grace enables us. So freedom, true biblical freedom, carries grace. The grace that sets us free, the grace that releases us unto Onto something. It enables us to do what we previously couldn't do. So you're exactly right. Freedom is not, uh, now I don't have to listen to anybody. Uh, that would be a, a real distortion. Uh, freedom is, is different than that. Freedom now puts me in a position to benefit from counsel, to benefit from friendship, from leaders. And uh, all these things God has placed in my life so that I might become something that represents him well. And that's really what, uh, what freedom is. Yeah, that's a good point, though. Yeah, I, I think that thing about flattery, it's very easy, isn't it, to actually just say nice things, to, to yep. uh, basically being people's good books. So one of the key issues of, of culture of honour is actually the the ability to confront as well and to confront well, to, to speak the truth in love, not, not losing your value for somebody else, but actually... Um, and I think that, again, if you can just explain that a little bit to, to us, because yeah. that's something I think is often mistaken... Yeah, you're right. That's It's actually one of the statements that we make in our own world here about uh, about a culture of honor is that it only works in the measure we're willing to confront. Uh, small c on that confront. It's not it's not harsh. Uh, it's it's just the compassionate willingness to say, listen, when you do this, it affects me this way. It's. Uh, it's when you said you would do this and you didn't, it feels like you betrayed me. It's, it's honest, but it's not accusational. It's not harsh. It's not punished. You know, it doesn't carry uh, punishment. You know, let's, let's be honest as leaders. Uh, in Luke 9, when the disciples, uh, James and John, wanted to call down fire and kill an entire city in Jesus' name, um, if that would have been one of my staff members, I probably wouldn't have let him go on the next outreach. You know, but Jesus, Jesus wasn't that restrictive. He redefined what their loyalty to the team was supposed to look like and why he came. He came to give life, not to punish. And so he kept them involved, kept James and John involved in what he was doing. He didn't, 
punish them, but he was very stern and very firm to say, this is unacceptable. But then he didn't send them, you know, make them stand in a corner for two weeks. He, uh, he, they were still engaged in what he was doing. So that part is challenging for us because most of us were raised in a punishment culture that uh, punishment really is basically for the sake of the punisher to feel like he's doing something important. He's doing something significant. He's uh, for uh, Christian leaders. If I can punish somebody, then I'm proving my conviction for righteousness. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it doesn't mean there's not times where we, where we restrict somebody. If, if they're proving to be unfaithful or dangerous in a certain area of responsibility, we're going to restrict them, but it's going to be for their sake. You know, it's going to be for their sake, and it's not, it's not to prove how powerful we are. And, uh, and if, we can, if we can manage that part of our world well, I, I think we can really raise up some spiritual giants in the earth that really, really can make a difference. Yeah. It's been interesting. I, again, uh, with the culture of honor, um, I found it's quite interesting so, how some people actually turn it around and, and they use it as a weapon um, against you. You're supposed to be nice to me. You're not honoring me when you're trying to confront issues. That, that's, that's quite an interesting experience, I found, that the word starts to get... <sighs> sort of used as in a way of, of getting your own way, uh, to manipulate, actually. And uh, we've had to resist that very strongly here at Eastgate, and I guess you've had to do the same at, at Bethel. Oh, boy, that's, that's, a, that's a very fresh one right there. That, uh, it, uh, people will, will use that. And oftentimes when people are not getting what they want, they will throw that up. Well, so much for a culture of honor. And, uh, and that's where you just patiently listen and then you bring them back to, you know, their responsibility. But uh, uh, we, we can't allow, for their sake and ours, we can't allow people to manipulate us with, uh, with their expectations. Um, I, have a, I have a response. Somebody wrote me a, a note here a few weeks ago saying, uh, they said, I'm very disappointed with uh, something, the, the tools that you gave us to be able to handle this problem. And uh, so I, I wrote back and said, um, if you think you know uh, what I'm supposed to do with my gift, my responsibilities, and my time, I will always disappoint you. But if you uh, are looking for somebody who always try to do their best to represent Jesus well, then you'll be satisfied. And just to try to set them in a place where they understand none of us have it all together, but uh, I'm not going to depart from my mandate to live with this honoring culture. And sometimes it means that we confront. Sometimes it means that we deal with, with really tough issues. We've got some stuff going on here right now where we've got some real hard things uh, to deal with separate from uh, the obvious pandemic and other stuff. Uh, some real challenging things to deal with. But, uh, but it's, it's being done because of our love and our honor for people. So, um, you know, people are just not used to that. Yeah. They're, they're accustomed to either being given the liberty to do whatever they want with no checks and balances, or they're accustomed to a punishment culture that just, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the leader just wants to be in charge and make sure everybody serves his vision. And, and uh, you know, it's, it, those are just two extremes and honors somewhere in the center, you know. Yeah, and the concept of freedom actually embraces the the idea of boundaries as well, doesn't it? That actually you have good boundaries. I, have, I remember when um, 
you know, we've been on holiday in places, might um, been in a hotel, um, maybe overseeing swimming pool or the beach or something like that. And uh, we've got a balcony, and I'm, I'm sure glad that when our kids were small that that balcony had had, had boundaries on it. Uh, it had very clear metal you know, guardrails and everything so that they couldn't couldn't fall off. But actually, they could go right to the edge and explore the, 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 that as far as possible. But again, sometimes I find that, that people think, oh, you just said no to me. That's, that wasn't nice. Well, you know, we have to be able to say no in order to, to, to say yes. And, and uh, again, that's one of the things I think we've... Uh, benefited from as is learning from you guys is, is the, the the importance of boundaries yep there's an interesting story uh, uh circulating years ago about a school a school ground um they had to remove the fence to do some work and they noticed all the children would not use the entire playground they would stay in the center of the playground but when the fence was up they would use every corner the full extent and so when there are clearly defined boundaries, people are more free to explore. Mm. But when, uh, when there are not clear boundaries, um, people tend to not dream as much, not become as much, not take the right kinds of risk. And uh, it's an interesting uh, uh, psychological uh, uh, effect that boundaries have on people. It's, you know, as you've described, it's very, very positive because a kid can go to the edge of the balcony and see what's here and what's there. Uh, that's exactly right. It's a great illustration. Kim, did you want to talk about uh, Beachheads for Freedom and uh, your encounter with Gold Angel? Um, well, I just think it's one of the things, uh, it was while actually in one of the meetings in the um, school in, in Reading, I was sitting at the back and there was a visiting speaker and he said, oh, we're going to open this up. And... Um, and I was sort of quite nervous, actually. I'd only been in Bethel about um, a week, I think, at the time. And I thought, oh, it's going to be loud and everything. And I, I had this, um, in my spiritual vision, I saw a huge gold angel. And he said his name was Gold. And I just thought, this is not my... Well, actually, I, I, I had a phrase come, I have an angel and his name is Gold. And I thought, that is not my theology, you know, <laughs> it's nothing for me. And I, so it made me sort of think, oh, this is, this is God. And I thought, well, what happens next kind of thing? And um, God just put the words gold and sword in my, my brain and, and various other things. But gold and sword were the, um, the British beaches on the Normandy landings. And, and God gave this... The, the D-Day beaches. The, on, yes, the Brit- the, on the D-Day beaches. And um, and uh, this this idea of building beachheads for freedom, um, he said, you know, we're going to build beachheads for freedom, and I've, that's in a way. When we came to Bethel, we experienced that um, beachhead for freedom, and it's something that we we are looking to, um, you know, this is we're we're looking to build multiple beachheads for freedom, you know, and. Uh, you know, each each church environment that we we have interaction with, you just think, yeah, you know, beachheads for freedom. Um, so, you know, the idea of um, also one of the things is the whole whole flow of resources, and I think that's one of the things that we really appreciate from Bethel is your, you know, in in they used to have these um, 
temporary ports on the D-Day beaches. And at one point, everything for all the resources for the army were coming through this one beachhead. And uh, and just the flow of resources that freedom brings. I just wondered if you wanted to say something more about that. Well, it's very powerful when you, when you talk about those who initiate a breakthrough. A beachhead is the person or the team, the church, the movement that creates an initial area of breakthrough. And uh, a lot of people, I, I heard a phrase this week I'd never heard before uh, in the business world. Uh, a billionaire guy made this statement uh, about all of us want to be the first second, the first second. In other words, the one who is first first gets the breakthrough, but they are the ones that are shot at a lot. They are the ones that receive the persecution and are shamed and manipulated and all that. And uh, so when somebody has a great idea, this billionaire guy said, we, we all want to be the first second. In other words, after this guy's paid a price to get a breakthrough, we all want to be the next one in line to go through, uh, you know, and obtain the victory. And that's really what it comes down to is a lot of people don't want to live with a lifestyle of risk because of the amount of criticism you receive. You know how it works. I mean, it's, it's people reject an idea initially. They become accustomed to the possibility of its truth. They eventually, you know, acknowledge that it was true. And, and you know, eventually everybody's involved and thinks they thought of it, you know. And so there's this whole, there's this whole cycle uh, of what happens in, uh, in, the, in the average believer um, that just criticizes and opposes anything that's new. And uh, and so the, for me, when I think of Beachhead, I think of the I think of the group of people that are just, you know, they're the John the Baptist. They are the forerunner. They're uh, uh, forerunners tend to lose their heads, uh, but they are willing to put their life on the line to bring about a breakthrough in an area that will benefit everybody else. And uh, you know, history is filled with those kinds of people, and many of them died lonely. Many of them didn't have very many friends. You know, you look through church history, the people that we applaud so much right now were not not that well loved when they were alive, at least by the masses, um, especially the masses in leadership. Uh, you know, you take a Wigglesworth and some of these guys, my, my grandparents uh, sat in his ministry. And I remember my grandfather saying, not everyone loved Wigglesworth. And, uh, and he, he was easy to love now because he's not here to offend us. And uh, we treat him the way Israel treated their prophets. They all celebrated them after they were dead. But um, dealing, uh, loving and caring for the guys, the gals who bring breakthrough in my lifetime, those are the scary people. Those are the scary people. And, uh, And we don't have a culture that values those kinds of people enough. And that's what a culture of honor really does, is it gives permission for people to become the beachhead makers, the D-Day invaders that uh, will help to pave a way for the rest to come along and, and obtain victory. And it's, uh, it's, it's, it's rare to see those people receive the kind of honor and freedom to become something that they need. But uh, anyway, that's what I think of when I think of the beachhead thing is, is just the, the men and women that just lay their life down to get breakthrough for everybody else's benefit. Yeah. And the beachhead fought for fiercely. And again, we've known that's been true for you at Bethel, you know, because the enemy, you know, our enemy is not flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle. To, to establish a culture of freedom is not, is not what I call neutral ground. You have to take enemy territory. And, and we've known that here. 
we've done it in our work in, in, in other European nations and that's what we're we're doing right now is is you know we we have taken a lot of what we learned from you, hopefully been faithful with it, put it into practice and, and you know it's beautiful that when people come to Eastgate they say, Hey, we can feel freedom here and I guess it's it's like like you, we we stepped into Bethel. And we thought, what is this? You no, know, you can feel something. And then it took me a while to work that out. But because it says um, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Yes. What we feel is when you say you feel freedom, you're feeling His presence. It's an acknowledgement of, of of Him present. And that's and because we are spiritual beings, that resonates inside us. And we find that people walk into Eastgate and say, "Wow, you can feel the freedom here." But I believe it's their spirit sensing what they were made for. And Again, yeah. that's what Kim and I experienced when we came to Bethel, and we're so grateful for all we, we, we learned uh, from you guys. But we know um, you had to fight for it, we've had to fight for it here, but we would say it's, as far as we're concerned, it, it, it is the truth of the gospel. Um, and, uh, I'm, you know, as I read through the New Testament, you see that the, the truth of the gospel is always opposed by the legalists, you know, the, the Judaizers, the circumcision group, um, and... That battle hasn't gone away, has it? Because the enemy is is still determined to try and take us back into slavery, and uh, it seems to be that's the the age old conflict that we have to be willing to to fight. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. It's uh, it's a part of the risk thing, you know, uh, because nothing's impossible. That includes transformation of church culture. Uh, because nothing's impossible, we have to be willing to take risk, and it's just—it's just the life we've been called to. If uh, you know the, the phrase that I use for our our team is that if we if you know if my life isn't based upon the approval of man, I won't crumble when I have disapproval. You know, it's, it's like if if I don't live from their praises, I won't die by their criticisms. And uh, we have to kind of, as leaders, kind of monitor our own heart in this area. Because oftentimes, especially when we've tasted of the blessing of favor, we can begin to live for the blessing of favor instead of the blessing of, of right living, of doing what he's wanting us to do. So, um, but that's, yeah, that's, that's exactly right. There's just risk involved. There's risk involved uh, when we want to, you know, uh, establish new do things. I, I remember years ago we had a, we were, we were wanting to experiment in a prophetic area. Uh, it's many years ago now, and um, so my approach was, you know, there's a lot of casualties in where we're going. Uh, you can imagine a trail with casualties on both sides of the trail, but there's gold at the end of the trail. So the reason we're willing to take the risk is there's a prize at the end. And uh, so I told the team, it, my approach was basically this. Let's just stay accountable to each other. Let's stay humble, but let's experiment and see what God would actually bless. And so that was the approach we, we took. And that's uh, uh, when we start to experiment and we don't stay accountable, we don't stay humble, that's where we're really open to deception and, uh, and feel like we're being persecuted when actually we're just being rebuked for being dumb. So, so sometimes, sometimes that's, uh, that's the reality that we face. But it's that humility, staying low and staying accountable. You know, if I'm out of line, please talk to me. If you see an attitude developing in me that's careless or harsh, I invite you, please point it out. And that, that means together we can afford to experiment in something because we're going to, we, we, we want to stay, stay low. Yeah. Well, Bill, it's been 
great pleasure having this time with you. Kim, have you got anything you want to add? Or No, only my, my thanks to Bill and Bethel and the team um, for, um, yeah, for, for showing us, um, well, letting us experience, you know, God's presence, the freedom, um, but also just all the practicalities of, of unpacking that and, and how that works. And, and we've lived in the benefit of that. Um, and I think many others are living in the benefit of that. Um, so a huge thank you. Yeah, and we appreciate your friendship towards us personally and towards Eastgate. Actually, um, this last weekend, you would have been with us here at, at Eastgate if you'd been free to travel, if we'd been free to not put you in quarantine. But... <laughs> We've got the wonders of technology. It's been wonderful to connect with you. Um, we want to say really thank you so much for your friendship. Thank you for your generosity. And uh, we want to pray God bless you as you go on your way and, and just trust you so much to carry the goodness of God. And, uh, and say hi to your family from us and hi to the Bethel Church. And uh, we'll, we'll say hello to Eastgate from you. Yeah, yeah please do. And thank you so much. I, I really appreciate it. Uh just the friendship and the honor that you guys uh, always give. And uh, you guys are doing such an amazing job there in the UK. We are, all, all of us here have a very special love for, for the UK. Some of our dearest friends are, are with you guys, you and you guys. And, and so thank you. I, I appreciate it a lot. It's a real treat to be with you. Well, it's been a great... We appreciate it too. Yeah, thanks. It's been a great pleasure to have this time with you. And so for those watching, we're... Uh, Hope you've enjoyed this and uh, I hope you enjoy the, the resources of Bethel and also Eastgate and uh, thanks for watching us.